Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Book of Revelation, Session 1, Introducing the Book. We are going to have, currently I've got about 95 sessions slated for this series. And we're going to spend 95 weeks, I know that sounds like a long time, some of you are barely 95 weeks old, Um, (laughs) 95 weeks going through the book of Revelation because we want to get it. That's the reason. Uh, This is a very misunderstood book. It's a book that there's much debate over. It's a book that's avoided. It's a book that's been called too confusing to understand. It's a book that uh, people are thrown off by the symbols of it. And uh, because of all this, uh, people have you know, t- tended, by and large, to stay away from it or barely study it, or it's kind of like you read it that one time and then you checked it off in your Bible and like, there, I did it, I got through it. I did Revelation, never have to do that again. And uh, what we want to do tonight is we want to talk about um, the importance of the book of Revelation and the understandability, if that's a word, I don't know. Sometimes I make words up, but I mean, I got the mic, what are you going to do? So the understandability of the book of Revelation. And so we are going to go slow. It's one of the reasons that we're going to do discussion groups. We're going to digest it. We're gonna, I'm going to teach a little, and then you're going to talk a little, and then we're going to come back and do some Q&A about what you talked about. I mean, we want to make sure that we're getting this. And so the flow of these nights is going to be, call it 30, 35 minutes of teaching, followed by 20 minutes of discussion groups around the room, and you're going to mess up all my blue chairs. Okay, those of you who are joining us online, I'm sorry, you don't get the discussion group type thing. We don't know how to do it, so just come here. And if you live far away, move here, and it'll be great. So um, anyway, we'll break up into discussion groups around the room, and then you're going to have group facilitators. They're going to help lead some questions, keep the ball rolling, jot down some uh, ideas and such, and then we're going to come back, and what you'll really probably do is just turn your chairs, however messed up they are, wherever you're at in the room, just turn them back this way, and we'll do a little bit of Q&A. And the objective there is for your group leaders to take whatever big question kind of came out in your discussion time, and then ask it, and then we'll do a little bit of Q&A back and forth, and hopefully through these three methods teaching, and then some Q&A at the end, sandwiched with uh, uh, some discussion group time in the middle, hopefully your retention level will go up. Hopefully you'll connect and actually fall in like with somebody. But, uh, but in addition to that, we want your attention level, uh, attention to, uh, to be parked and uh, for your retention to increase. So that's why we're doing it the way that we're doing it. One more point on this study that's a little different. We're not doing a verse by verse study. We could, But instead, we're doing a theme-by-theme study. So these 95 sessions are 95 different themes in the book of Revelation. And so we're approaching the book of Revelation from multiple angles. And what's kind of fun about that is having gone through Revelation once already, verse by verse, the greatest difficulty for me as a Bible teacher was I had to keep stopping in the middle of the verses And talk about where that same idea was developed other places in the book of Revelation so that we could kind of have a little bit of cohesion. So this time we're just going to do it the exact opposite. We will not be doing verse by verse, though we will have read every verse by the end of this. We will have approached almost every single section of the book from multiple angles in different sections at different times for different reasons. So it's hopefully going to give you a comprehensive like walkthrough of this book, but you're going to have to stick with it. So for those of you who uh, want to keep going, we're going to keep it going online. So uh, you're welcome to uh, get the notes and hear the teachings and all that. So that's kind of a little of your you know, introduction here. I want the reason, I mean, this is a significant investment, right? 95 weeks. My gosh. I really want, I feel responsible. I feel like it is important that our community doesn't use forerunner language, forerunner rhetoric, but that we actually have the message in us. And when it breaks down to it, a forerunner is somebody that knows what's coming. I mean, if you really want like the most simple answer and the book of Revelation tells us what's coming, but we won't know what's coming because we know how to pronounce the title of the book. Like we're only gonna know it if we go deep. And so I want for us as a community to go slow, to go deep, to go together, and to get this content in us, okay? So that's why we're doing it the way that we are. All right, I'm going to page two if you're in the notes. I think this is, doing it this way, my hope, and I I think this is going to be real, 
It's going to significantly increase the level of understanding that we have of the book of Revelation about the end times, about what the future holds as a community. I don't want just a few of us. I want the water level as a community to go up, and I feel like doing it this way, we'll be able to. And also by creating the notes that we won't be able to get through all the notes every week. I mean, I'm going to still do my full, you know, you know, full development of the notes or whatever, but we won't, just won't have as much time to go over them. We're developing these notes. We're going to have the teachings online. We'll have the Q&A sessions as a part of those teachings available as we move forward. We're creating a resource for others that are going to come along and go, book of revelation, end times what, huh? I don't get any of this. This doesn't make any sense. I thought all that was over. I thought none of that was going to matter. One version or another, it, it doesn't have any pertinence to us. We want to be able to create something helpful with lots and lots of information for the nerds that want to go through it to be able to digest it, to get it, because it's available. All right, so let's go to part two. A revelation intended to be understood. <laughs> this is an important uh, statement. It's an important concept. It's clear across the word of God, not just the book of Revelation. There are 150 chapters in the Bible about the generation that the Lord returns. 150 chapters. That is significant. It is clear across the word of God that it's God's plan that the church understand the events, the people, the trends, the major stuff that's happening in the last days. Why would it be in there? Like the Lord wants us to understand this. And so all throughout scripture, we see references indicating that this message is intended to be understood. So I just want to go through some of the notes here. Part A, it's a revelation. Now, this is kind of a fun little point, okay? The big point about the book of Revelation is that it is a revelation. Revelations are aha moments. Revelations are things that you have that you go, I didn't get it, now I get it. That's what a revelation is. Okay, the very book title means you can get it. Okay, the book of Revelation is a revelation that Jesus knows fully and plans to accomplish. The very word revelation implies that it is a mystery of God that has now been made known. It is a mystery that is being made known, has been made known by the Lord. It's intended to be heard, to be known, to be understood. I'm, I want to give you some proofs here by this section, section two. If you kind of want to know why section two, section two is to talk you into the fact that you can't understand this book. That's what section two is really uh, all about, is to talk you into whatever your reason is. I can't get it. My pastor told me I can't get it. The internet told me I can't get it. You know, my second grade teacher told me I couldn't get it because all my F's. Whatever your reasoning is, I want to tell you, you can get it. You can understand the book of Revelation, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to go in deep in this, and we're going to understand it chunk by chunk, bite by bite. Part B, the logical purpose for the information. The only way we can apply the word of God, I mean, we would all say that the Bible is useful for teaching, correcting, training in righteousness, right? I mean, we would, we would all know that verse, and it's the whole of scripture, right? So we know the Bible is given so we can do stuff with it, not so we can take up space on our shelf, right? Like the Bible is supposed to like be alive and active. The Bible is the word of God. The Bible was given to us so that we could actually understand it and apply it. Why would that be true of all the books of the Bible except Revelation? That's crazy. The book of Revelation is part of the Bible. Let's not separate it. It's part of the Bible. Look at Jesus. Revelation twenty two sixteen. This is how Jesus ends this. He says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. The book of Revelation is for the churches. The book of Revelation is given by Jesus for the churches. The information is for the church to understand and apply. I and mean, doesn't that just seem pretty simple? Like, who could argue with that? We've just made it so complicated, and it's really not. Jesus himself, why would he lie? Why would he, why would he be difficult? He says, I sent my angel to give you this book, this testimony, so that the church could have it, so the church could understand it. That's why we have the book of Revelation. Part C, understanding the end times is called of first importance. Now, you may not like that, but I mean, you got to argue with Peter, not me. So look at 2 Peter 3.3, 3, bottom of the page. This is Peter. He's talking to the New Testament church. He's trying to help them understand some priority systems. 
He's trying to get them in alignment, in agreement with the things that God thinks are important, trying to get them to understand. And he says this, first of all, first of all, it is of first importance. First of all, you must understand. It is important. It is of first importance. You must understand it. Understand what? You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. In short, you must understand, church, in the last days, there will be way, way too many people telling you you can't understand the book of Revelation. That's what that says. Plus, but he says you must understand this. First of all, church, I need you prepared in the last days, and you must understand when you find yourself in the last days, first of all, church, you must understand you will find yourself in a generation filled with a scoffing spirit that says, you can't understand this. These last days, they're too weird. Where is this coming, Jesus promised? He says it is of first importance. You must understand it. The book of Revelation is the revelation about all that is coming. We can't understand it. It's of first importance. I'm going to skip over part D. I'm going to have to skip a bunch of notes just to be able to make room for time here. <clears throat> Avoiding widespread deception. E, more or less the top of page three. Second Thessalonians 2, 3, Paul says this. Talking about the end times, he, it's called that day in this passage. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. I mean, that to me sounds like a very pastoral concern. Don't let anyone deceive you in one way. No, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. There'll be lots of ways to be deceived and there'll be lots of people trying to do the deceiving. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Okay, what, Paul? About what? That day, talking about the return of the Lord, will not come unless the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. If that's a hard idea for you, it's talking about the Antichrist. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. There has to be a great falling away at the end of the age. That's how another translation says it. Falling away as opposed to rebellion. It means the same thing. It means there's going to be so much wickedness that a significant amount of the church is going to turn away from Jesus and follow after wrong things. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way until that happens and until the Antichrist is revealed, Jesus cannot come back to the planet. Don't let anyone deceive you, not in any way. Now, I look at this and I'm like, the book of Revelation is not only understandable, it's essential so that we can actually be equipped to do what Paul said, to not be deceived. Great deception is coming. There is a way to avoid that deception, but you're not gonna avoid it just because you woke up in the morning. You're gonna avoid it through careful clarity. Why would, careful under uh, uh, study and, and uh, getting clarity. Why would Paul, if no one was gonna be deceived because everybody's good to go, why would Paul say, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Why would he make such a big point about it if we're all gonna be easy to go, no problem, nobody in here is gonna be deceived? Why would he make such a big point about it? Why would Peter say it's of first importance that we understand it? It's because we must understand it. You see, we've built our theology about the end times and our theology about the uh, book of Revelation, we've built it on things that aren't Bible. We built it on what well-intending leaders told us. I don't think they were bad. I think they were well-intending. We built it on, you know, you heard some well-intending leader that maybe hadn't spent a lot of time studying it, and when he taught it, he taught it confusing. So then you were confused. You're like, oh, it's too confusing. I can't get it. Like, we've built it, but that's not Bible. Like, these are Bible verses we're reading. Don't let anyone deceive you. You know, I mean, this is, this is like B-I-B-L-E. All right, let's keep going. Part G, I like part G. G's just fun. The blessings that come from the application of the book of Revelation. The promised blessing. Here it is, Revelation 1.3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, talking about the book of Revelation. They are blessed. Blessed is the one who reads the words of the prophecy. First is read. Second, blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Now this says there's a blessing for reading it. Well, why would you just read it if you're never supposed to understand it? I just love reading books I don't understand. It's my favorite. My day off, I just get the dictionary out and I pick all the weird words that start with X. And I just, man, I just start reading them. It's my favorite. What a ridiculous waste of your time. You read for clarity. 
You read for understanding. You read for enlightenment and encouragement. Okay, it says, if you read this, there's a blessing on you. Second, blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written. You know what take to heart means? Here, I'll give you a really easy one. Which guy takes to heart my, my exhortation? Ah, oh, there's a bus coming. And the guy stands there, smiles, and gets smacked with a bus. Or I go, ah, there's a bus there. And the guy takes to heart what I said and jumps out of the way. Okay? It's applying truth. That's what take to heart means. You hear it and you go, oh, heart, mmm, different now. That's, I'm going to live different. I'm going to respond to that. I'm going to see it and now live differently out of the overflow of that. That's what take to heart means. We cannot receive this blessing if the book of Revelation cannot be understood. We're to take to heart this prophecy and put it into practice in our life. And honestly, the only way we're going to be able to do that is we give it a significant amount of attention. That's what it's going to take. So yes, 95 weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take this thing to heart. What the book of Revelation is. The book of Revelation is many, many things. It's kind of fun. It's got layers. It's a multifaceted communication. The book of Revelation has so much going for it. Okay? I'm going to give you a few of them here. This is the most, it has to be the most dynamic book ever written. It just has to be. I mean, the layers and the, I mean, the way that the Lord speaks through it, it's unbelievable. First, did you know it's the longest epistle in your New Testament? The book of Revelation is a letter. The book of Revelation, amongst other things, is a letter. It's the longest epistle in the New Testament. I mean, you believe 1 Thessalonians, you think that's good, right? I mean, we like Ephesians most of the time, right? I mean, it's like, we like the epistles. This is the longest one. Like, almost twice as long as the next one. The longest epistle in the New Testament is the book of Revelation. Look at here. Revelation 1-4. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. The book of Revelation is John writing a letter to the churches in Asia. The book of Revelation is a letter. It's the longest epistle in the New Testament. That's cool. So now you can keep reading. When you're going through the epistles, you don't have to stop at Jude and quit. and keep reading. And you're like, you can do book of Revelation and it's, it's an epistle too. Okay? It's good. It's good stuff. Next, it's a vision. The book of Revelation is a vision. Look at here. Revelation 1, 10 through 12. <clears throat> On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard and I saw. This is John hearing and seeing. He's having a vision. He's having a powerful encounter. Next, it's a prophecy about the end of the age. Look at Revelation 1, 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. It was given to show the future. A revelation that was given to show his servants the future. So it's a prophecy. So you got 22 chapters of prophecy that happens to be a letter that also happens to be a vision. What else? It's a prayer manual. Now we don't have a lot of time to go into this right now, but several of our sessions, one in particular and several others will be support it, will talk specifically about the book of Revelation as a prayer manual. You go, what's a prayer manual? Pretty simple. You don't know what to pray, so you open a manual, and then you see it says, pray this, and then you pray that. That's what a prayer manual is. We're going to see increasingly so in this generation, the book of Revelation as a prayer manual, a prayer guide, and even the very texts, the very prayers we're supposed to pray moving forward. I gave you a couple of examples there where it's talking, <clears throat> talking about the context of what's going on being related to God's people praying. So things happening in the book of Revelation are happening because the people of God are praying for them to happen. Well, who are those people? You are those people. And your kids, maybe. I mean, we're in an hour where there's no longer 100 years out. I'm not saying it's 30 or 50. I don't know how long it is. It's not seven, because we got some reasons why we know it's longer than that. And it ain't 100. So it's somewhere in between seven and 100. So there, if you need to quote me on something, okay? So... We're talking about a, a manual that we are going to desperately need the content of to pray and to know how to navigate. Keep moving. The book of Revelation is the revelation of a man. 
It is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. In fact, it would do you good in your Bibles to add to a title that people put there. It wasn't there in the original text. We call the book of Revelation the book of Revelation. Its actual title is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the actual title of the book. Now that changes everything. <laughs> I mean, I want you to think about this for a second. We hear the book of Revelation and immediately we think, weirdy book with weird animals and things and stuff falling out of the sky and a lot of death and blood. And when heaven thinks book of Revelation, they think the revelation of the Son of God. Now that's very, very different. Now if we go Bible instead of culture, we get the revelation of Jesus. This is the best book in the book. It's the only book entitled The Revelation of the Man. The revelation of who Jesus is, of his leadership style, of what he's like, of what he's about. It is the revelation of Jesus. It's not weird. It's not hard to understand. It is the revelation of your Savior. It is the revelation of Jesus. That is solid. That is the first line in the book of Revelation. Revelation 1, 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave. God gave us the book of Revelation so that we might know Jesus better. I'll just tell you this. Having given some time to studying the book of Revelation, I have found that it draws me closer and closer to Jesus. Why? How could a title, the revelation of Jesus Christ, how could that be the title of this prophecy, of this book, and it not draw you closer to him? That's the intention. That's the purpose. That's what it is. We've made it things it's not. What it is, is the revelation of Jesus. It is who he is. If you want to study Jesus, I encourage the gospels, but you must study the book of Revelation. It is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's big. We will spend more time on this in future weeks, but the book of Revelation is also Jesus's end time battle strategy. You know he's a military leader, right? Amongst many other things. He's a military leader. You remember the passage where he pulls a sword out of his mouth and comes back as a baddie out of heaven? You know, remember? He's a military leader and the book of Revelation is his plan. It's his battle strategy. We actually have a significant amount of the stuff where the council of heaven, okay, what's next? Okay, what do we do? Okay, how do we respond to that? What's, I mean, they're in the command center and they're releasing the, the plans of heaven on how the end times are going to unfold. It's already written. We've got it. Imagine knowing how World War II was going to go decades before World War II ever started. We know it. The way the age transitions, the greatest war that there ever will be. We actually know the details. It's his end time battle strategy. That is awesome. That is powerful. That is a powerful thing. All right, so let's talk about a few intra or some few details of the introduction here. First, part A. It's revealed by an angel sent from God. So I'm just giving you a little bit of the context. So let's... This introduction, the book of Revelation, intros are important. You know, whenever you meet somebody, it's probably better to shake their hand and get their name before you just start asking them intimate details about their life. You know, we kind of we like to at least you know my name before I start telling you all my crud. Like, introductions are important, okay? What we're looking at here in Revelation 1 is the introduction of this letter that is supposed to be the revelation of Jesus given to the church to show the church what's coming. The introduction, this first chapter, it's important. So I want to look at just a couple of the points of this introduction so that we can kind of familiarize ourselves with it a little bit. First, it's revealed by an angel, and that angel is not a rogue angel who snuck out of heaven and then snuck in this revelation to us. That rogue angel was not rogue. He was sent by God. God said, hey, angel, you busy? He said, no, sir. Said, I want you to go give this to the church. I want you to go give. This is important. Angel says, yes, sir. He was commissioned by God to bring this information to the church. That's what the book of Revelation is. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known 
by sending his angel to his servant John. So first is it's revealed by an angel. Second, it was received by a man. It's just helpful. I mean, just that human dynamic of it's a letter, you know, making it human, a, a guy, a, a person who had like issues and, you know, had a favorite food and the least favorite, like a, a person. He got this revelation and he wrote it down. Okay, it was John. John, this, uh, the end there, it says, uh, he, made it known to, uh, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Next passage there, part B is the next uh, very word that picks up where it left off there. Send it to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Do you know what else the book of Revelation is called? The word of God. It's called the testimony of Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you, there is no safer place you can be than studying what is called the word of God and what is described as the testimony of Jesus Christ, which we already know is the revelation of the man who saved us. This is safe and good. This is not weird and odd. This is not ununderstandable. It is absolutely understandable. It was given to us to understand. Next point. Why was it given? Because the time is near. Another clear indication that John intended to draw his audience into an immediate response. This revelation was given because the time is near. Now, we all know John was given this revelation many moons ago, and it hasn't happened yet. So near is an interesting word, but I mean, when you're eternal, near is kind of tricky for us, okay? So God, his version of near... Here's the reason I think it was written that way. The time is near. Let's say it this way. The time is set. The time is real. It's an actual time. You should live in the urgency like it's coming soon. The time is near. That's the purpose. That's the language. It's not just nebulous and like, oh, you know, this stuff may or may not happen or it could happen and you wouldn't know it. There is a time assigned by God for the human race that will need and go through and experience the things in this book, and you're going to need it, I want you to live in the urgency that you will see it. The time is near. It was unveiled on the Isle of Patmos. So it was given to John on an island. It just is a little point of uh, connection here. The island of Patmos was a prison of sorts. It was a not a, you know, stuck in bars prison. It was a little bit more loose than that. It's where the Roman government sent nonviolent prisoners to be forgotten about. We don't want to kill you. you you've got kind of a name in our, in our land and we feel like there'd be too many repercussions if we kill you. We're going to send you to Patmos. Patmos was like purgatory, like you've forgotten, off, unrelated, unconnected to the rest of the world. Like, okay, you're not in prison proper, but you're stuck there. You can't see your friends. They can't see you. I mean, you're, you're in prison. The Isle of Patmos was where they sent the nonviolent prisoners to be forgotten about. So that's where John is. The timing of this is during a time of great persecution and great suffering for the church. When John receives this, and we'll talk about the day in a moment, there was a season of great persecution on the church. The book of Revelation is all about enduring persecution. The book of Revelation is all about walking in endurance and, and in love and, and purpose and destiny and knowing the man in the midst of the difficulty. It's a call to, for the martyrs to stand up and for them to not shy back. The book of Revelation was given at a very timely moment in church history. Not for that moment only, because we're told it's for the end times, but that book was given, it could have been given 10 years before, 100 years later. It was given right then because it was a time of great persecution for the church. It was imparted in a spiritual encounter. I gave you that. It says he was in the spirit. But the last point that I want to make, and then we'll break it up, uh, open a little bit here, is that it was received, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Revelation 1 verse 10. I've got it there in two parts at the top of page seven. I was in the spirit. He was having this spiritual encounter, a trance, I believe. He was having a spiritual encounter. He gets this vision. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now I got to talk to you about the Lord's day because it's probably not what you think it is. It's important. It's greatly related to the persecution I was just talking about. 
Understanding the term, the Lord's day, this is one of the most key phrases. It's one of the most crucial phrases to understanding the context that the book of Revelation was handed into, okay? John's readers, when they read the term, the Lord's day, they knew exactly what he was saying, and it was not what you and I are thinking. We're so Western, we, we, just, we have absolutely no idea what this is talking about. And so my hope here, because I didn't know, I mean, I did some study and heard from some different people, and oh my gosh, that's so much help, that's so helpful. We need to get a little bit of a historical context on what this word means, because it changes how we receive the book of Revelation, especially the context that they were landing in. First of all, <clears throat> it's an adjective, not a noun. So when you translate it from the Greek, it, we've translated it and we've just made it a noun, the Lord's day, like, you know, it's, it's a day. Well, it's actually an adjective describing the kind of day that it is. It's better translated the lordly day, okay? And you go, why does that even matter? Well, because it was actually a Roman holiday. The Lord's day was a Roman holiday. So you got Christmas, New Year's, and the Lord's day, all right? It was a Roman holiday, and it means something completely different and totally opposite from what we're thinking, okay? It was a Roman holiday related to great persecution in the church. At this point, the saints had been walking through incredible persecution, incredible difficulty, mostly because of the way that the Roman Empire was being governed under the Caesars, okay? What was happening in this time frame leading up to this is the Caesars, the kings, if you will, of Rome, you guys know that concept, the Caesar was taking over more territory than anyone had been able to uh, account for within Rome's history, within many other governments' history in the course of, uh, of all of uh, you know, known history at that point. These Caesars were starting to become deified. The Caesars were beginning to be believed in as gods. They were looked to as gods because the thought was no man could rule over the vastness of the Roman Empire. No man could accomplish what our Caesar has accomplished. And so part of it is just even the human nature to want to worship people. And so these Caesars, as time is going on, they are embracing the concept. This is historical. I mean, we can see this all throughout history that the Caesars, not all of them, but many of them were worshiped as God. Okay. Now, what, what does that have to do with anything? Well, John, in John 1, 9, right before this verse, John 1, I'm sorry, John, in Revelation 1, 9, right before this verse, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, he says this, Revelation 9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that are, that are ours in Jesus was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, John is making a connection between persecution and the Lord's day. He's saying, we're in a very difficult time, and I want to tell you, you know the Roman holiday, the Lord's day? And they'd all go, yeah, we know. Let me tell you what happened to me on the greatest day of persecution for the church. Let me explain what happened. He said this. Or, no, he didn't say this. This is the rest of the background. Caesar Domitian. This God complex hit him harder than ever, any of the previous uh, Caesars, and you can go look this up. At the time of John's writing, Domitian was the Caesar in rule. It was this idea that he was a god, I, this idea that he was, you know, uh, indestructible. And what happened was the, uh, the, the guys in his council, and he as well, set aside a day for Caesar worship. They set, they made a day. They made the Lord's day. They set aside a day where Caesar was to be worshiped, where, where busts, where uh, statues of Caesar all around the Roman Empire were erected all around the Roman Empire. And it was required on that day that everyone must stand before the statue and say, Caesar is Lord. It was called the Lord's day. And it was part of a way to squelch Christianity it was part of a way to build up the, uh, the fear factor and the, the awe and the reverence of the, of the reigning Caesar. 
And it was called the Lord's Day. So now you've got this entire empire of Christians all throughout the Roman Empire, and the Lord's Day is not a good thing. The Lord's Day is the scary holiday. In fact, it was during this time that the Christians, to combat that and to find a uniform way of how are we going to respond, it's during this time that the phrase, Jesus is Lord, was popularized. Now, you can find Jesus is Lord in the Bible, but it wasn't the kind of thing that was said all the time, okay? This became the creed of the church in that hour. Instead, when they stood before that statue and they were told, you must recite Caesar is Lord, they would say, Jesus is Lord. And many of them were killed for their faith on that day. The Lord's day was a great day of martyrdom. Thus, the revelation of Jesus Christ was given on the Lord's day. And they were given so that the church might be strengthened to overcome the persecution in that hour. That's the context. And so he's given this incredible encounter about how to overcome persecution, how to overcome in in enduring the difficulties. And there's no book that I can think of that talks more about the martyrdom of the saints than the book of Revelation. It was an encouragement to the church on the very day they would be martyred. That's pretty different. So we have wrongly assumed that this has something to do with the Sabbath. The term the Lord's day is not found any other time in the Bible. And I'll give you a really, real easy reason why. The Sabbath wasn't called the Lord's day. It, that's not, I mean, we can call it that. I think that's cool, but that wasn't like used. That wasn't like vernacular. They wouldn't talk about the Sabbath as the Lord's day in that time. The book of Revelation was written, was given in anywhere in between 90 AD and 95 AD. One of the reasons that you don't find the Lord's day anywhere else is because the Lord's Day was invented in 90 AD. So it wouldn't have been in books that had been written decades or hundreds of years before because Caesar, the Lord's Day, was invented in in AD 90, okay? So that's part of the reason for that. Some have thought it referred to Sunday, but the, the Gentile tradition of moving the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday, that didn't come about for some time long after the book of Revelation was written. The Lord's Day is not about the Sabbath or about the day of worship. The Lord's Day was the scary day that all the church that were reading this letter when John wrote it, they all interpreted and understood. They heard it and went, dang, it's coming up. I hate this day. This is a day where we like, ooh, you know? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We are now going to break up into groups and we're going to do some discussion. Okay. So we're going to transition now. We're going to transition. And just so you know, one of the things we're going to do is as a a leadership team, we're going to debrief how this went and see how to make it better and better and better. Okay. So if tonight was a little rough around the edges, of course, it's our first of seven or 95. You know I mean? If it wasn't rough around the edges, I'd be impressed. So um, anyway, so we're going to transition now. So if we can, uh, we're going to do Q&A, but I just want to ask you for the sake of our time that the way that you get your question into the mix is by getting it to be the one that the group adopted. So please only the, the group leaders ask questions at this point. We do lots of Q&A around here about end time stuff. So there are other places for you to ask a thousand other questions. But what I want is for the group leaders one at a time to ask the question that came from your group. And group leaders, just as a reminder, it might be a question you already know inside and out. Uh, but if it's one that was the groups wanted uh, clarity on, uh, it's probably something that the rest of the room would want to hear as well. So, uh, so let's just start here with Jeremy. What, what was the question? Yeah, so this is a real common question, and I think important for the whole room to hear. It's, it's the whole question of, okay, so Jesus says, behold, I'm coming soon. But, like, didn't every generation think he was coming soon? And didn't the apostle think he was coming soon? And, like, like Jesus, you're coming soon, and ours might be totally different. Like, why? It's like, a great question. Yeah, so I'd give a twofold answer on that. Uh, the, the question is, didn't every generation think that, that it was the last generation Jesus would show up, you know, any year now? Uh, two things. One, uh, the first is no. Uh, in, in a sustained conviction as a whole, as a church, there have only been two generations in the history of church history that as a church, now remember, the church isn't the 15 people you know. The church is the millions of believers that speak all the languages all over everywhere in the earth. That's the church, not just the people in the West or just as people in this nation or just some small group. Now, I will say this. 
there have always been some small fraction of the population that felt like and were preaching like, Jesus is coming in the next few years. There's always been some fraction, but that's not representative of the church. So there's only been two generations that there was a sustained conviction of the Lord's soon coming as a church kind of overall. It was the first generation and a growing conviction in this one, okay? And so when, when I say that, like, the, the important part is the church having a feeling. You know, we've all got the Holy Spirit living in us. All of us that love Jesus have the Holy Spirit living in us. And if Millions and millions and millions and millions of us are all having the Holy Spirit say, soon, it's coming, it's coming. That's actually the Holy Spirit speaking to the church. That has not been the case in previous generations. Now, sometimes the plague would hit one small part of the planet. And the people there would go, the end is near, the end is near. But that's not, and then as soon as the end didn't happen a few years later, it was no longer a sustained conviction even within that people group. So you're talking about a sustained conviction across the body of Christ in the earth. That hasn't happened since the first generation. And part of the reason it was easy in the first generation, all the Christians lived in the same neighborhood. I mean, relatively, as opposed to on all the continents of the earth. You know? And now there's this growing conviction, first thing. Second, I would say, and this is just a little bit of like after having lived a little, I don't know how many times I've had the Holy Spirit tell me something was gonna happen soon. And I'm still waiting on a couple of those. But I am positive I heard him say, S-O-O-N, son, soon. And I want to tell you what I believe to be the pastoral reason why that statement. Urgency. When you think it's going to happen soon, you live like it's real. And if God said, this is three decades out, you would forget it. Flat, forget it. The Lord wants the church to live in the urgency, so he said, I'm coming soon. Amen. Amen. All right, next group. How about over here, Cass? Uh, yeah, so, uh, why is the church of Peter That's a great question. So uh, why are church leaders so uh, concerned about offending uh, people to not talk about book revelation or end times? I actually don't think it's mostly about offending. I think that's... Um, I think that plays into it. I think that the reason that we don't um, talk a lot about the book of Revelation and about the end times, can I just be like so super honest? 150 chapters takes some time to understand. How can you turn around and be a voice about something you've been focused on a thousand other things you're supposed to teach as a teacher, as a preacher, yeah, I mean, you're, you're a pastor. You got all these other concerns. Likely as not, you've not spent 10,000 hours studying those 150 chapters. So it's intimidating as, whoa. Like, so the pastor's like, I don't know. I don't even have time. I don't, I'd have to have five lives. And in the fifth life, I'd finally get to studying the book of Revelation. Like, so I think part of it is just the, the magnitude of it. I think another part of it is because it has been a confusing issue, and again, if you talk to somebody that hasn't spent a lot of time looking at those 150 chapters and then they teach on those 150 chapters kind of like for the first time, but they say it's super authoritative, like this is the word of the Lord, they just who could know what they were talking about? I mean, what percentage of the population could just like for one time, like a one-time sermon, preach it once a year or once a decade and like actually have clarity of understanding on that subject matter? It, it's, not, it's not pragmatic. That's not possible. So then confusing teaching comes out because it's not actually in accordance to what all the counsel of those 150 chapters say. It's one little verse that was taken out of context and nobody's the bad guy. But it winds up creating great confusion and this guy read this Bible verse and then this guy read this one and they preached something completely different and both of them said, this is the word of the Lord and said it's strong, stronger than maybe should have been said. And so it creates confusion. And then the next guy comes in and he goes, well, I appreciate that guy as a leader and I appreciate that guy. And they both say something different, so this can't be understood. So I think a lot of times leaders shy back because it's so much information to try to get a hold of that it seems impossible to understand. It's not impossible, it just takes time. I mean, it, it just takes time. So I really think that's actually what's going on mostly. So great question. How about here, Caitlin? That's great. So the question is, 
Why these seven churches? Why not all the churches? Why not the churches over there? Why, why was it sent to these, this group of churches? Okay, um, twofold answer on that. One, these were not the only, but these were John's primary congregations of which he had been an apostolic pastoral leader in this region. So these churches are all in a region that John was like doing his thing in. Okay, he was ministering in that area. Secondly, this is an area that was kind of in the heart of the controlled Roman Empire, okay? So you've got areas that are way, way, way further away from Rome and way further away from Roman control, and the day of the Lord didn't impact those places nearly as strong as central hubs. So Asia Minor, where these seven churches were located, was right in the middle of like Roman central government and like had, you know, all the structure and, uh, and infrastructure put into place. And so these were churches that one, relationally, John had near and dear uh, uh, relational ties to. And secondly, uh, it's an area that was experiencing the kind of the brunt force of the, of the blow in a significant way. I think that this letter could have been written to other groups as well, and it had gotten the same you know, accomplishment because it, while it was written in that day, in that context, to those seven churches, it was written to the church, just like the book of Ephesians was written to the church. You know, I mean, I appreciate that it went to the Ephesians, but I, the, Ephesians is my book. I mean, that's, that's, I'm reading that one for me. It's, it, it, God knew what he was doing, but there was a context where we got the book of Ephesians. Paul wrote to the Ephesians. But we have it as a book in our Bible, and it was always the intention that this would be canonized and be part of the, the council uh, of the Lord. So, good question. Let's go to the back. Andy, you back there? I mean, yeah. It's a great question. So uh, if tonight was the uh-oh moment and you go, nope, this is a big deal. I need to get this. And you're feeling that urgency. What do you do? Okay. Well, that's a really good question. And the only way that I can answer this in the way that I feel like will be the most helpful. Okay. I'll say it that way. Um, if you go to the internet, you're a dead man. Okay. Because everybody's got an idea. Okay. All right, here's, here's what I've found by going to the internet many, many times. So many of the ideas that are presented are subjective and they're not line upon line development of Bible. So find line upon line development of Bible related to end times. Now, that's a pretty tall order because you're not just saying I need, I need good Bible teaching or developed Bible teaching, whether it's good or bad. I need developed Bible teaching, not just ideas and stories, but I need it on the very narrow scope of on the end times, okay? There's not a ton of places that, have, that put a lot of energy into that, okay? I would say I know a number of leaders in the prayer movement that are a part of the prayer movement in America, Mike Bickle, uh, uh, Billy Humphrey in Atlanta, uh, there's others as well that have spent a significant amount of time developing these resources, and we have a bajillion in the lobby. And most of those are available online for free. And so if you're looking for a place, if you're hungry and you're like, where do I learn more about this? I mean, we did a 14-part intro to the end times course, and it's in our lobby. So if this is something you want, and I mean, my teaching style, whether I'm teaching on this or that or this, it, it, the notes look exactly the same. Like idea, Bible passage. Bible passage, idea, development. Like, let's look at the word of God. Let's not just come up with neat ideas. Let's look at what the word says. And I, I mean, I say that because it, it takes time. Like, I'm, I'm saying this, pretend I'm talking about the other guy because I know the other guy probably does similarly. Okay, I have to spend a lot of hours preparing for these teaching notes. Lots of, I don't mean one or two. I mean eight to 30 to teach these, to come up with this content. And I'm in a prayer room going, oh God, help us. Oh God, I'm looking at the word and I'm cross-referencing like to get what the word says. And so you want that kind of teaching. And so go find that, okay? Great question. And then this group over here. So if there are 150 Wait, one second. Worship team, can you come on up? Worship Jeremy, can you come on up? <laughs> All right, yes, Luke. My question is going to be anointed. 
Amen. Okay, so the question is, uh, 150 chapters, why are we picking on Revelation at this time uh, as opposed to studying Isaiah or some other uh, end-time heavy um, uh, Bible book? Um, I would say a couple of reasons. My favorite point that we made tonight that we looked at in the notes is this is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. So to me, what a perfect place to start as a Christian, I mean, it, whether you were going to study whatever, like the revelation of Jesus Christ. So to, uh, to, to get the rooting in a revelation of a man who is God, who saved us, like to me, that's great. Second, I want to hit this, you can't understand the book of Revelation thing in the face with a brick. Okay. We can understand the book of Revelation. You were lied to. You can understand the book of Revelation. Listen, let me give it this, this, this simple here. The majority of the earth have been uneducated peasants that have never been taught to read or write. That's the majority of humans. God came for them, not for scholars only, not for those that are like, you know, the most anointed, you know, seminary professors and this, that, and the other. God gave the Bible to Christians, dumb ones. Okay, simple ones, untrained ones, smart ones, awesome ones, brilliant ones, rich ones. He gave it to folk. If we cannot receive the word of God like a child, there's something wrong. Not with the person, with the process. We have to be, this, this was made to be understood. Now I get it, you might need to read it a few times and talk about it and do some small group discussion. We might need to put some energy into it, but this is gold which must be searched out. It is not nebula that cannot be defined. It is absolutely understandable. So I want to take on the book of Revelation so that we can address that. And if I can be honest, having gone through the book of Revelation once already as a Bible teacher gives me a really good place to start from for me, for me to be able to develop the teachings and, and come up with that stuff. So there's just a kind of a practical answer is like, I, I feel comfortable with it. One thing too, a number of us in this community spent three years reading the book of Revelation every week. So we spent a three-year period of time and we read it every single week, week after week for three years. So we're familiar with the book of Revelation. So this is not like new territory. I, I, I feel very, very comfortable in this book, more than I do in Isaiah, uh, more than I do in Jeremiah or others. I've spent a lot of time here. So maybe that's a cop-out answer, but it, it's mine, so... Well, Father, we thank you. It's going to be fun. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.